Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. We're going to take a minute here and interject some ideas and some biblical truth. We have a church here in my town that is extremely liberal, and it's of the Baptist denomination, but it is a liberal congregation. And when I say liberal, I mean liberal in progressive ideology, liberal in politics, liberal in their view of scripture. And recently I was addressed regarding Adam and Eve and who they actually were. I was told that they were simply ideas, that they were metaphorical images that would help give us an idea of how to live. Well, you have to ask the question, okay, if this is true, then is the balance of Scripture factual? And then these people, honestly, they go through Scripture and they begin to pick out certain writings that they agree with and would adhere to, and then others that they would not. Typically, liberal thinkers, those who hold to the school of higher learning, reject the ideas that Paul puts forth, the Apostle Paul, and they reject the ideas that don't fit in with their criterion of examinations. They believe in certain things that Scripture does not allow. They believe we should allow. They accept certain principles that Scripture does not allow. Now, our decision here, well, my decision is, if we're going to be Christians, Christians hold to the Word of God. It's not the Bible containing the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. This is our position. This is my position. And if you're listening to me on a continual basis, this will be the way I confront scriptures continually. The Bible is the verbal, plenary, inspired Word of God. Without doubt. Now, in regarding Adam and Eve, as we see them created in Scripture, the Bible does give credence to the idea that they were indeed the first man and the first woman ever created. Now, this right here, what we're talking about right now, is strictly referencing Adam and Eve, okay? In Romans 5, for example, there's a strong testimony about Adam and Eve that they were, in fact, the first people. It says, wherefore by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. This was the first man, one man. The apostle Paul wrote this. In verse 14, he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So it's obvious that Adam is being viewed as the historical figure, the first man in history. If this wasn't the case, then Paul's argument would be meaningless. He would have no merit, no basis to say what he's saying. Verse 15 even goes further to strengthen this. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the offense of the one, Adam, the many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by the one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. Now, the liberal perspective would have to reject this idea altogether because you cannot have all things in one bowl. You can't say the Bible's not true, but right here it is true. You can't say this part of Scripture is just not factual, but this part is. We want the good. We want Jesus to come in and save us and show us how to love and to be kind and everything, but we can't accept the idea that all have sinned because of one man. Then Jesus forgave all sin one man. Did that? Can you accept that? So 
Jesus himself is dealing in Scripture with one man. He deals with Adam, the historicity of Adam, the historical nature of Adam, and the historical nature of Christ. And then, seriously, you have to come down and say the historical nature of myself. I'm here. What has happened here? And I want to know, what's the history? If something historical happened that's going to benefit me or hurt me, I want to know about it. I don't want to just gloss over it and ignore it. Tell me, historically, what happened? Because what happened back there is going to affect me today right here in space and time right now. And I want to know about it. So explain to me the history behind it all. Don't try to hide it and obfuscate it or redefine it or revise it. I want to know the true historical significance of Adam and Eve. Please tell me. The point Paul is making in Romans is strengthened again in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to say something here. He says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The emphasis is again on the parallel between the history of Jesus Christ, whom you remember Paul has seen on the Damascus Road, and the history of man called Adam. You go on to verse 45 and it continues the same argument. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. He refers to him as the first man, and he refers to his name as Adam, and he refers to him as a living soul. So, that should dispel doubt and questioning, but it does not, because the liberal mind is at enmity with God. They want to argue these things. They can't accept the truth that is presented here. It has to go deeper. We need a better understanding. Well, that's where the Spirit of God comes in, and he can explain all things if you would ask him. But Adam was made the quickening spirit. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, which means he gives life to those that are dead. The last Adam being Christ. Then you go back to Genesis 2-7. So it is written. That's what he's referring to. He's referring back to Genesis. Paul and Jesus himself referred to Genesis as the truth of God. Now, a lot of people don't like Paul and they just reject his idea of what's called parallelism. He, he compares this to that and there's a contrast and comparison. But Paul's not the only one who does this. You have to look back and see that Luke, the doctor, does the exact same thing. He traces the descent of Jesus backwards. He takes the genealogy of Christ and goes backwards. He lists a number of characters that were historical figures, including David, Jesse, Jacob, and Abraham, and ends with the words, which the sons of Enosh, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. That's in Luke 3, 38. Thus, we have another triple parallelism between the objective, historical existence of a whole group of people that we know to be historic through the Old Testament and the New Testament references. Now, if you reject this, then just close your Bible up and walk away. The Bible's just a story. If this is the way it is, it's just a childcraft book. But if it is the truth, then we see actual history being presented to us. So there is a historical existence of Adam, and there is the objective existence of God himself. And if we take away the history of Adam, we have to walk away breathless. If we tamper with this ordinary way of understanding what's written in the Bible, the structure of Christianity is nothing but an existential heap that is meaningless. But we go on further. Look at what 
1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14 says, For Adam was the first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now here's something additional. Not only is Adam historic, but Eve, in the midst of her rebellion, is seen to be as historic as well. And 2 Corinthians 11.3 further testifies to this. He says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his deception, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The parallel here is between Eve and me. Paul appeals to those of us who are objectively real. You are hearing this, so you're real. You can touch and feel and see. You are alive today. So Paul is speaking to us, and he's trying to show us, look, Eve, who was alive at that time, was tricked and deceived by the devil. So you are very capable of being tricked and deceived as well. Now, clearly, this is the case in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 through 9. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Feminists, don't be offended. This is scripture. I'm just bringing the message, okay? Here, the fact that Eve was created after Adam is a very important fact. You'd have to take into account the way in which Paul quotes the early part of Genesis in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. This is a study. You have to really think your way through, okay? This is not the Gerber brand of Bible study. You'll have to really get into scripture and look at it and see how the arguments are being made. Because people will come along and they will have their own arguments. I want to say that I love people, and I do. I love people. I pray for people. But the ideas that we stand against were to stand against vehemently. The ideas that the liberals put forth are not scriptural in the least. And they contradict scripture. They're doing evil towards the word of God. So we don't accept that. I don't accept it. And I would never present it in such a way. There is a definite contrast between the light and the darkness. We have a very, very strong unity throughout Scripture that declares that Adam and Eve were indeed the first human beings in creation. You have Eve who is created. You have Adam who is created. In chapter 2, we have Adam before Eve. There's no human being standing before Adam. He's alone. Adam was created in a specific and a unique fashion. We've already discussed this. He was created in the image of God, and he was differentiated from all that came before him. There's nothing that corresponds to Adam. He could not reason with the animals. The animals had soul, but they had no spirit. In the Hebrew, you can see and feel the force that is in verse 20. It says, but for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. That is a helper opposite to him. The emphasis is on the counterpart to Adam, someone parallel to him, yet somebody totally different. This counterpart, which we know, begins the man-woman relationship in life. And simply, this woman did not exist at this time. There was nobody there for Adam. Then, a deep sleep came upon Adam, and God said, It's not good that a man should be alone, and I'll make a helpmeet for him. So, thus he made Eve out of Adam's rib. The Lord took this rib from Adam and he made a woman and he brought her to the man. Adam said, this one at this time is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. 
Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. But the thing here is that Jesus, in a passage we've already looked at, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus calls what is given in verse 24 a direct statement of God. God says this because of the way Eve was made, she was taken out of the man. So it's hard to tamper with this straightforward way of speaking of the early portion of Genesis without losing the possibility of real meaning in the language or its communication. Now, we're told that God made woman in this way. Now, science, the voice of science today, rejects this completely. The voice of science today wants you to know that we came from monkeys and we evolved from lower life and that we also came from as a result of a big explosion known as the Big Bang millions and billions of years ago. Certainly the fact that a woman's creation out of man, it has a definite philosophical importance because it means that mankind is really one unit. Man didn't just come out of nowhere. There was a real beginning, a beginning in a real unity in one man, one individual. And this one individual is totally different from anything that came before him. So we're seeing this presented here in Genesis. And this picture of man that gives strength to the Christian concept. Now, these things are essential. These aren't things that we can just write off and say, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. These things are imperative in today's society. We're running away from the truth as a society, in the American society, and in the world as a whole. Communism, socialism, they do not accept these things as true. They reject religion. Religion is seen as the opiates of the people that keep us calm and so at times, if you view the history of communism and socialism and the way it has worked, they'll allow the gates of religion to be open for a time until the public gets calmed down and they become satiated with their fate. And then they close the gates back up. They control religion on these bases. However, you cannot control and corral the truth. These things must be understood and verified in Scripture. So really, dear listener, you have to study these things. You have to go through Scripture and find these references through Romans, Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Genesis. These are things that we must study. In Genesis 5, it says, this is the book of the generations of mankind. You can say Adam there, but the word Adam means mankind. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he them. Male and female created he them. And he blessed them, and he called their name Adam or mankind. In the day that they were created, God called them this, mankind. The second time the word created is used in this passage, it appears in relationship to both male and female. So it says God made them both. He created both of them. So now it's all complete. And then we could go on, but this is a critical, critical point right here. And I'm putting a nail in it. This should be a benchmark. If ever questions come up about evolution, go back to Scripture and find out what Scripture says. Hold to what the Word of God says in spite of any scientific notions that speak to the contrary. The Word of God tells us God created man and woman, and he made them both. Then he breathed into them the breath of life. Right here is the differentiating factor. The major thing is that man was created in the image of God and given the breath of life. 
the spirit. He breathed the spirit within him. He did not do this with the animals. None of the animals, if you read in scripture, did he breathe into them the breath of life. Man is totally separate from the rest of creation. Man is the pinnacle of all of creation. All we see around us, all we enjoy, was created in order to sustain man and bring joy and satisfaction to his heart. But as we've seen, man blew it. And believe me, it has gotten so much worse. A few years back, my brother-in-law knew an anthropologist in France. And he asked this man, who had spent his entire life studying the nature of man, to describe what he had arrived at. His description was, l'homme est plus sale comme bête. That's French. It says that man is filthier than any animal he's ever seen. Now, if you stop and think about this, man died when he sinned. His spirit died. He now has a soul and a body, and his spirit is separated from God. What animal do you know of that organizes groups of animals in order to kill and destroy millions of other animals. Adolf Hitler killed six to seven million Jews. One man organized other men to do something like that. Today we see so much evil in our world. What men allow millions of others to sit in hunger and cold and do nothing? That is not the way of God's people, but that is the way of man. It's amazing to see just how low man has gone, and he has not reached bottom. He's still going. But I keep coming back to this, and I'll keep reminding you of this. In Christ, that's not the way things have to be. In Christ, we have a hope. In Christ, we can find life and life evermore. We're in a constant descent, and we haven't found the bottom yet. So that is why we need to know the truth and hold to the truth. Hold to the truth with everything you have, and don't let anybody separate you from it. And you'll understand more and more of the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.